This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side by side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Shouldn't you be at work? When the seagulls follow the trawler, it's because they think sardines will be thrown into the sea. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. I'll have a low-fat pizza or something like that, or a few biscuits and some milk on a Sunday. And you can pair up if you like, and you can fucking pick someone else to help you, and you can bring your fucking dinner. Now, you know him better than anybody, probably. Do you back him to score quickly, yes or no? Yes. Oh, oh and he has to. No. Hello and welcome to Series 8 of Quickly Kevin, Will He Score? We are back once more into the breach. I'm Chris Scott and joining me, as always, Josh Whittacombe. Hello. And a man who bears a suspiciously close resemblance to Tamori Ketsbaya... It's Michael Marden. Hello. Never questioned yep. you on that. Never seen you... him in the same room, obviously. <laughs> Did you like Tamori Ketsbaya? He was part of that Newcastle team that was... That Newcastle team that came after the Keegan team was a bit like um, Travis and those kind of bands that came after the Britpop boom. Do you know what I mean? All the excitement had gone out of it. Yeah. Rude Hullet's spell at Newcastle was a lot like Stone Rose's second album. Just like, oh, what's happened here? <laughs> <laughs> I, used to love, I used to love all this. Um, now, now you've got Ked Spire. Yeah, it's mad to think I loved Newcastle United for a brief period. We all did. Yeah. Apart from Michael, presumably. No, I, lo- I, lo- I really liked them. I really enjoyed them. Even though they were considered a rival for the title. They were never a rival, mate. <laughs> they were 12 points clear. Yeah. When Philippe Albert lobbed Schmeichel, I thought, that we're on it. <laughs> I can't believe this hasn't come up. You know, there was a guy who got the Newcastle United ch- champions tattoo on his back before they'd won the league. Yeah. Do you think he's he's still got that? Yeah. There's that guy who famously had Andy Cole's face tattooed on his back about five days before he signed for Manchester United. <laughs> Imagine trying to get that changed to Keith Gillespie. <laughs> um, I wanna, actually, this this could be a rich vein. Have you got any '90s football tattoos? There must yes. be listeners who have got a night like a '90s football inspired tattoo. Yeah, spe- yeah, specifically '90s, not a sort of club crest or anything like that. No, yeah, we don't want a club crest unless it was a '90s club crest, like the old City one. Yeah, I, I I'm going to say it. I don't think we've ever covered this. 
Has a club ever changed a badge and not just made it much shitter? <laughs> <laughs> like, the badges are so... I much prefer the old badges. Yeah, me too. Yeah. But then I prefer the olden days for everything, I think. No, so. one, no one likes a new thing, really. I mean, and that's the strength of this podcast. That Man City badge, though. Awful. The new Man City badge. Do you know one of my favourite badges? Wigan. Everton, with that little tower on it. Yeah, great. What is that Love tower? That. I don't know. But like, <laughs> Don't tell us. <laughs> don't, don't email in. Um, those badges, like when you're younger, badges are obviously a lot bigger deal. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Because you'll get the stick or whatever. You would never, you would never think about a club badge now. I used to practice drawing the Manchester United badge. Oh, like, did you? Weekly, yeah. I could probably, if I tried now, I could probably do a really, really good Manchester United badge from muscle memory. Oh, wow. Well, there we go. West Ham have got a good badge. Plymouth I like got our a new good badge. badge. I like our new badge. Oh, we've got a new badge. Yeah, we've, we had one in the... Well, we actually had a two in the 90s, and we've, had, we've got a third one now. What's your one now? Well, it says it says London under the cross towers, oh, which has caused a lot of tension. Yeah, that's awful. But I don't understand how that what, what the idea is of putting London at the bottom of the club badge. It's like, is someone in China going to look at that and go, oh, there's only one team in London then? Oh, yeah, that is what they... <laughs> but they're trying to oh, capture God, an yeah. extra few fans off the back of the badge. Oh, pathetic. Um... Michael, I think you should draw the badge, the Man United badge, from memory today, and we'll post that on our Instagram to announce the start of the new series. Okay. That'll be a fun job. And feel free to just add Manchester again at the bottom of the badge so you get a few more fans. <laughs> or bloody London, where most of their fans are from. All right? <laughs> Isle of Wight. Look, we'll come to what this series and this year is going to involve for Quickly Kevin, but before that, shall we, uh, we should go straight into the 90s o'clock news, shouldn't we? Let's do it. Headquarters of ITN News at 10 with Chris Scull. Two stories today. First up, Yuri Geller unblocks the Suez Canal with his mind. <laughs> of course he does. And also, Steve Froggart reveals how he met his wife. Oh, great news. So, first up, Yuri Geller has claimed to have unblocked the Suez Canal with his mind. So, obviously, big story this week in case you missed it a massive uh, container ship blocked the Suez Canal went up on the bank I blocked it caused billions of pounds of inter- international uh, shipping traffic to ground to a halt but then Uri figured out that he, rather than try and move it with like in the physical realm at 11 11 a.m. he told the world to just focus on moving it with your mind he said uh, the world's collective mind power, not 14 tugboats, would dislodge the ship. And it was actually the front the front cover of the Daily Star says, Spoon botherer Yuri Geller needs you at exactly 11, 11 a.m. to use the power of your mind to get this bloody ship shifted. And guess what? He did it. He moved it. Several wow. hours later, it must be added. And with the help of 14 tugboats. <laughs> but... Spoon botherer is such a great slam. <laughs> yeah. I think, I know it's the Daily Star, but it is astonishing that he's still getting front covers of newspapers. The front page of a, of a national newspaper in 2021 is Yuri Geller. He's an astonishing self-publicist. Yeah. Obviously, he knew the ship was going to be moved, right? But 
Has he not got involved in COVID because he knows that he can't do anything about it? <laughs> well, he did get... Um, there was a picture of him receiving his vaccine while bending a spoon. Yeah, that made the front cover of the Jerusalem Oh, yeah, post. yeah, of course there was. Yeah. But, but um, also, he must have done a bit of research because uh, like, they were dredging 20,000 tonnes of sand that morning out from the ship. I think he's, he's made the calculation that that's probably around the time that it's yeah. going to be moving and that he can claim the credit for it. But an astonishing mind either way. Do you think anyone believes him? Yeah, I think some people do. Yeah, there's some there. There are flat earthers out there, so I I would say Yuri Geller's abilities are more believable than the Earth being flat. Yeah, I suppose they are in a way, aren't they? Yeah. What do you think happened with the with the football in Euro '96? A bit of wind. That is weird, isn't it? No, it's not weird. Do you not think it's it is weird when you look at it that like Gary McAllister steps up to take that penalty against England and it, it moves. But, like, you don't see that. But, like, a ball can... You can put something on a penalty spot and it'll move, it won't move instantly. You know, that, that happens all the time. Then you look at... We went up straight at the other end and scored. Like, that, that... And that was the turning point of the summer, really, wasn't it? Hold on. So are you pitching for Yuri Geller here? I, I think I find myself pitching for him. But Yuri Geller didn't, didn't even claim to have been involved in the Gaza goal, but you're giving him credit for it anyway. Well, he set the, the turn of events in sequence, didn't he? Because he moved the ball, no, he didn't. Seaman saved it. No, he we didn't went up. set those tournaments in sequence. <laughs> well, you know, I think he's got a good case. It is weird. Like, it is weird that ball moved like that, objectively. It's absolutely not. And now, can you think of another... Uh, is there an, another case of a ball moving like that before... Well, I don't think that people are keeping their eyes on whether a ball is completely stationary with every penalty that's taken. It's weird. And the fact he was in a helicopter trying to move it. Was he in a helicopter trying to move? <laughs> I, I thought they disproved I, I've that. Ne- I've watched the footage. I've never heard a helicopter over the top. Yeah. Not I... only there's pictures of him in the helicopter with an England shirt on. Well, there's yeah, there's pictures of him in a helicopter and an England shirt. But whether it was at that moment in time, that's to be debated. I'm sure I read somewhere years ago that someone had checked the flight paths and you know the sort of tracking of all air movement at that time and there was no record of anything being in that area yeah so so what are you arguing skull that he happened wait let, let me just ask this question did he happen to be over the stadium at that point and the penalty was given and he thought i'll move this or was the penalty given and he quickly scrambled <laughs> the helicopter <laughs> to get over the stadium well, surely in 1996, Yuri Geller could have got a ticket. Yeah. And also, if you're going to influence the game, surely there are better moments. Because moving that ball doesn't guarantee that that penalty is going to be saved or missed. No. Surely you want to sort of swerve the ball, a shot that's going slightly wide, swerve it in, or a pass back to the keeper, <laughs> yeah. just bounce it over the keeper's leg. So it's kind of guaranteed that it's going to benefit England. Yeah, it's not like he moved it and then during when Beckham did that one where he fell over with the penalty against France or whoever it was against. Yeah. That, if it was that, you'd go, i buy that. But Gary Matalst took quite a good penalty that probably wasn't affected by the ball moving. Well, also, if you're in a helicopter, can you really tell what's going on? He's the one person in England who's least across what's going on in Wembley Stadium. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone else is watching it on TV. He's in a loud helicopter before the invention of the internet. Well, here's... I've just quickly... There's more to this story than I knew. There's not. There is. There's less. There's less to it than you think. So Yuri Geller says it's actually the CIA's fault. I'm not even joking. This is what he says. It's the CIA's fault that Gary McAllister missed the penalty. What? And he actually says, Yuri Geller says he's filled with regret over the infamous penalty miss, but he said... 
that actually it was a trick. Moving the ball trick was something he practiced with the CIA. This is a quote from Uri Geller. I was not surprised because I'd done this kind of thing in laboratories with the CIA and other intelligence services. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was very confident. No, I could hasn't. use it. I could channel the energy of England fans. I shouted, one, two, three, move, and I knew the ball would move. I was in the helicopter, so I didn't have all the information. This is a direct quote from Uri Geller. I just knew Seaman had saved the penalty. I thought, he missed, so I probably did something. When we landed, I checked the film, and it validated my theory. I'm asked all the time, every te- every year at least 10 times, about the ball moving, whether it's in England, Holland, or Germany, especially when I demonstrate it on my t- TV shows. They sometimes bring a football, and they place it on the floor of the table, and I move it with the power of the mind, and it brings me back to the memories of that match. But why but- is he in a helicopter? <laughs> also, wh- why are the CIA testing secret ball like what it's not it's not sort of chemical warfare like what's the you know why the cia are involved uh because they they think it was the russians that did it to diana ross don't they (laughs) (laughs) mikhail gorbachev in a helicopter (laughs) (laughs) you know what it ruined the opening ceremony so one nil one nil the soviets Um, we've gone on too long about Yuri Geller. Well, hang on. Can I just say this? Yuri Geller says that moving the ball in Euro 96 was not the highlight of his career. In fact, says it was highly unethical. And it only he realised that after receiving thousands of hate letters from Scotland. That's when I realised, although it was spectacular, it was unfair. He also says, I've stopped Big Ben twice. What a, <laughs> what a bullshitter. I can't, I can't believe we're still talking about Yuri Geller. Do you know what, though? Like, the Euros this summer, but have him fly around in a helicopter. What's, what harm is there? But I don't understand why he was in the helicopter. When he's watching TV, he could have seen the game, or he's one of the biggest celebrities in the UK at that point. He'd have easily got tickets in the ground. How did he not know what happened with the penalty, but he did know it was a penalty? I mean... <laughs> Just riddled with holes. Oh no! Fortunately, in this series, quickly, Kevin, we're going to have a lot more interesting Gary McAllister anecdotes pop up. So yes, there is Gary. That. We'll try and avoid Yuri Geller. Um, and, and actually, we've run out of time for us to how Steve Froggett met his wife. Oh, but sorry, hopefully we'll, we'll cover that. We'll cover that in future episodes. Yeah. Um, now we should talk about what this series is going to involve. So uh, we're going all the way up to the Euros. Uh, we've got some great guests. You know, it's the usual series: comedians, footballers, and. You know, 90s football fans being interviewed about 90s football. It's that simple. Uh, the episodes will be coming out um, Monday morning. Or for Patreon members, they are out on now. It's no longer Saturday. They're out 10 a.m. Friday morning. And the Patreon episodes will have at least 15 minutes of extra stuff. So you get your normal episode on a Monday. But if you want 15 minutes of extra stuff, three days earlier, you join the Patreon for that. Also, we will then be doing some Euro specials, and we thought we'd just do some specials throughout the summer to fill in before the next series. So basically, we're basically going to be on all year, guys. We're never going away, yeah. We're never going away, except little breaks between the specials and the series. So do keep listening, and do sign up to the Patreon if you want extra long episodes, extra early. Yeah, so if you want to join the Quickly Kevin fan club, get early release episode, plus all that bonus content, plus access to all the previous exclusive episodes, and also if you want to get access to our online live shows, all the ones we've done in the past and the ones we're going to do in the future, get yourself over to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin, and 
If you're a member by midnight on Thursday, the 8th of April, you will get our brand new exclusive Patreon members piece of merch. So sign up by midnight on Thursday, 8th of April. And to do that, go to patreon.com forward slash quickly Kevin. Right. Should we have some electronic post bag? I'm Jim Rosenthal, and this is the electronic post bag. You've got mail. Right, so, this is big, guys. Have you got uh, your WhatsApp open? Yes. Hi, lads. I recently stumbled across a very short featurette, which features quickly Kevin favourite Lee Sharp at home. We get a brief insight into the Sharpie fan club, including a tantalising shot of hundreds of the famed Lee Sharp tape cassettes, a pile of Lee Sharp fanzines, and a brief interview with his mum. Now... He sent two videos. This is from Jake Barnes. And I can't believe we haven't covered this already. This is brand new, phenomenal stuff. Have a look, guys. Now then, coach loads of girls and a few boys travelling from all over the country to meet their hero. Sunday afternoon, Royals nightclub in the centre of Manchester, the venue for the Lee Sharp convention. More than 1,500 adoring fan club members here to have a great time, to pay homage, because obviously Sharpie's got that special something. He's gorgeous. He's got the looks, the legs, the body. They are just want you to know I think you're the sexiest man on the air, and we love you. He has great parties. The barbecue opens in about five minutes. The music will be going on until five o'clock, so if you have as good a time as I'm going to have, we'll do all right. Let's make some noise! Wow, look at all those cassettes. It also, like, the, the name strap comes up for Lee Sharp's mum. It says, Gail Sharp, and then, like, in inverted commas, Lee's mum. Like it's alleged. <laughs> the best bit, though, in this video is when we see him playing with his scale extra set that he's got for Christmas. <laughs> And he talks about how Kino has come around and played scale extracts with him. <laughs> <laughs> but Kino kept knocking, you know, kept accelerating too much and smashing his car off the track. Perfect metaphor for Roy Keane as a man. Yeah. Too extreme. What do you make of that image, Michael, as a Man U fan? I'm just, it just blows my mind that, you know, someone at Lee Sharp's level of fame and success is genuinely enjoying yeah. playing scale extracts. Like, this isn't set up. This is, You yeah. can tell that's what he does with his time. He talks about how he's going to get the oh. floodlights and the stands as well, like he's 12. <laughs> <laughs> now, could you do that on scale electrics? What, like, so yeah. you'd have stands and... Scale extracts was dog shit, like F1. But scale extracts <laughs> was absolutely rubbish. The format of this thing is weird, isn't it? It's like, because he's just a footballer, what are you doing? How are you entertaining 1,500 people in a nightclub with a barbecue in the middle of the in day? In the middle of the day. It's such a weird event. It's a lot bigger and more impressive than I thought it would be. The barbecue I pictured being in a sort of like recreational ground and a 20 sort of sad teenagers, <laughs> yeah. but this is like a sort of take that gig. Um, <laughs> hang on, at 1 minute 20, you can clearly see that Lee's having a beer. He's having a Budweiser. <laughs> It's right. stressful organising a barbecue for 1,500 people. Oh, oh! Did, there was a, a shot there of the barbecue being outside. That makes a lot of sense. So the barbecue and the food outside and bringing it in, which answers one of my biggest questions about this whole event. So we'll put them on our Twitter and our Instagram because they are two of the best videos we've ever seen. Um, now, 
We've got so much to get through, but let's start. Let's start with some strange hills, which are, of course, things that you got wrong as a child or weird ways you played football as a child. And you know what? Before we do it, someone said, in defence of Michael is the name of this email. Oh, yeah. Yes, please. I just wanted to provide some support. Me being Tony Dorigo, herring up to help Michael out on the wing the use of the proper Grange Hill theme tune. Putting the pedantry aside as it technically does qualify for the 90s, just like Dorigo technically qualified to play for England, the Grange Hill theme tune has a storied uh, backstory. The tune is one of the many pieces written as generic library music by the likes of Keith Alexander or Alan Hawkshaw for the BBC. The idea that was if TV shows needed some background music, they'd flip through this stuff slap it in behind the action to match the mood. Some of the pieces were also intended in theme tunes and were picked for The Dave Allen Show, Match of the Day, Grandstand, Ski Sunday and Wimbledon. The Grange Hill theme tune, actually called Chicken Man, is one of them. And like most tunes, it's an amazing piece of music composition. So there you go, Michael. Who's who's that from? It's from Richie in New Jersey. Thank you, Richie. But I find that mad that they've written... Someone's just sat and lit, written a load of library music for the BBC, and it's become Grandstand, Match of the Day, Ski Sunday, Wimbledon, and Grange Hill. Yeah, that's crazy. You'd have thought they were like specific bits, but they're just going, oh, fuck it, we'll have that piece. We'll have Chicken Man, shove it on Grange Hill, that'll do. <laughs> and it's become one of the most iconic pieces of music of all time. Wow. So there we go. That puts to bed all of the complaints. Here's some Strange Hills. As you're aware, in 1991, Spurs and Nottingham Forest played each other in the FA Cup final. However, they also met one another a couple of weeks beforehand for a league game. Whilst watching that game on TV, or highlights of it, I remember the commentator stating that this was a dress rehearsal for the final in two weeks' time. The eight-year-old me believed that this was actually a dress rehearsal. (laughs) (laughs) Not a league game. For a few years afterwards, I always thought that the FA Cup finalists played each other beforehand to make sure the kits, stadium officials and players were all ready for the big day itself. (laughs) I thought that this was the case right up until I asked a Chelsea supporting friend when their cup final dress rehearsal with Manchester United was, and I was met with a look of amusement and a deep feeling of embarrassment. Carry on the fine work, Simon Cottrell. That's great. My favourite thing about this feature is as you start the story, you're looking to see what's going to go wrong. And the dress, yeah. re- the dress rehearsal comment, absolutely perfect. A perfect well, Strange Hill. So this has come off a Strange Hill. Now, Chris, you discussed the distance run by a modern player. Yes. And you wanted who had run the least distance. Matthew Wood has written in to say that uh, this reminded him of a story about his team, Nottingham Forest. Although the game wasn't referenced, wasn't 90s, the player in question was. There was a time in the noughties when... Forrest had a policy of having a lot of players who heralded from the city. This seemed a good way to connect with fans, but since come to light, it allowed them to offer lower wages for the pleasure of representing their hometown club. One of these players who arrived uh, was Andrew Cole. By the time he was there, he was, quote Matt, who's written in, a big lad. <laughs> and preferred more of a Jan Mulby role to his goal-getting persona. Things came to a head away at Sheffield Wednesday which turned out to be his final game, when the Optostats revealed that Cole had covered less ground than goalkeeper Lee Camp during the 90 minutes. 
How is that possible? Wow. What are you doing? <laughs> Once the stat came to like, his contract was soon cancelled by mutual consent, and that was the last we saw of Andrew Carl. That is crazy. Mad, isn't it? I'd yes. love to know. I'm presuming he doesn't include the actual number of miles that he, he and the goalkeeper ran. No, he ran. doesn't. No. But if How anyone... little are you running to run less than a goalkeeper? How much do you think a goalkeeper's running in a game? Like how many miles is he covering? Yeah. Well, obviously you don't see them when the ball's at the other end. Are they constantly repositioning? I suppose if you're if you're Manuel Neuer or or Allison or Edison, you're probably like patrolling ten yards outside your box at all times. Do you know what I mean? And yeah, the role of the goalkeeper now is so different, isn't it? Like you're switched when the ball's like coming back to your defence, you're probably getting ready to receive it. But in the nineties, you could just sit in your six yard box. No one's passing the ball back to you. After the pass back rule, no, at least. exactly, exactly. You know, in the nineties, when I was sat at West Ham, I used to sit behind, above the goal, like in the upper tier behind mm. one of the goals. And I would just, I would often look at the goalkeeper and just think, well, I wonder what he's thinking. <laughs> like when the ball's at the other end, surely he's thinking about what, like how he's getting home. What is it? Like he's not yeah, thinking. I think almost certainly. Because I remember they would just walk around. I always thought like it was strange when you get the odd goalkeeper like who'd just wind the arms up or, or do exercises when the ball's like, up the other end. Shilton used to do that. Oh, God. He used to run. He used to sidestep and touch each corner of the box when the ball was at the other end. What, like as a kind of OCD thing? No, I think to keep himself warm and, and engaged. Yeah. Um, wish he'd done that before bloody penalties, am I right? <laughs> okay, do you remember we talked about the uh, people that didn't get to watch the semi-final of Euro 96 and thought that it was... Um, they got the score wrong. Yeah. The kids. Oh, man. This is from Stephen Peeling. Uh, I was nearing the end of primary school in 1996. The school sports day that year happened in a dour atmosphere of the time, in between England's agonising semi-final loss and the final itself. All the parents were in attendance discussing the game and the various what-ifs and if-onlys. One of the dad had agreed to provide a running commentary on the races using the portable microphone and speaker but struggled to charge himself up with the requisite level of excitement. Everyone understood and was accepting his sombre tone. Such was the disappointment of the in the air. Then came the drama. Before one of the races, a friend's mother told me that she'd heard on the radio that the German team had somehow selected the same penalty taker twice in the shootout. Once in a regular five, and then again in sudden death. And as punishment... UEFA had decided to award the game to England. We were going to the final. I hurriedly told all of my friends, and the news spread like wildfire. Within minutes, the resultant hysteria meant that we were unable to finish the remaining races. Sports had become an impromptu parade. (laughs) The commentating father even managed to play three lions through the microphone. If unverified moment of delusion, jubilant chaos. It was, of course, all a misunderstanding. Oh, I love that. Would you would you rather experience that joy, but it turned out to be a lie or, oh, or no. never go It'd through be, the it? The heartbreak would be so much worse. That reminds yeah. me, I um this is not football related, but it's sort of related. I was on a, a Zoom poker night last month with my friends. And uh, one of my friends got a message, a WhatsApp message through from another old uni friend who, friend of a friend, basically saying that he had won a million pounds on the lot oh, on the lottery. Gosh. You know, that sort of, I don't know if you're familiar with it, but if you buy a lottery ticket, you get a sort of like one million pound, like bingo entry type thing. Right. 
and he genuinely thought he'd won the lottery like told his friends family were sort of like celebrating and we were like oh my god that's brilliant you know so delighted for him everyone's sort of like laughing a few people send him a message <laughs> and about two hours later it turns out that he'd never done the lottery before. This was the first time he'd ever done the lottery. And when he went to check his numbers, he just looked up the winning code for that. Oh, no. And inputted that code into the website. So obviously told him that he'd oh. won. And basically he oh just copied God. and pasted. But for two hours, they had like oh, spent no. the money in their mind. Oh, well, he God. copied the winning numbers thinking they were his own numbers. No, it's not the lottery numbers. It's like a little sort of uh, automatically generated code where you win a million pounds. So it's not like he didn't go, oh, I thought I picked oh, three, I seven, 14. It's sort of like Z4QZN like a lottery matchmaker thing oh. and he just copied what he because oh, he didn't oh, understand bro. how it worked just brutal See, it's not Boy. it's not worth it <laughs> no it's not it's like when you wake up from a great dream it's not a good thing yeah um this guy says the next day the head teacher called a special assembly to get to the bottom of the event he referred to the instigator as cruel and selfish <laughs> i kept quiet and never revealed it was me who had spread the gossip raised and dashed everyone's hopes and disrupted the sports day. Then, I don't understand Stephen's final paragraph. To this day, I've never had the courage to research whether the double-used penalty taker rumour was actually true. Now, of course it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> like, everyone would know. Yeah, what an unnecessary risk to take as well. <laughs> if you're like, Germany, hoping no one knows. Germany wouldn't have got away with it up until now. Well, you yeah. say that, but Oldham uh, once kicked off a match twice. <laughs> What do you think about that? Um, <laughs> what do you think? Um, do you know one thing I thought recently? Like that some of the big footballing moments in the nineties. Here's a good an idea for an article if you're a journalist on the Athletic. But like, what are the big moments from nineties football that would would have happened or otherwise if VAR had been in place? So like, yes. we talked about with Germany, that England Germany in the in uh, nineteen ninety the semi final that actually England had a goal chalked off that may not. It may have been on site. VAR may have given us a two-one lead or whatever it was at that time. Like, what are the big things that well, would have changed in some of our summer specials, Chris? That we'll be following this series and yes. following the Euros. We'll be interviewing our favourite uh, guests we've had with our series of the key ten questions about nineties football. And one of the questions is if you could change one result in nineties football, excluding the 1990-96 semi-finals of England, which would you choose, why, and what impact would it have? Yes. So feel free to write in on them, and we'll read them out during the specials. Now, we've got so many, I'm going to bash through some quick ones. Paul Parker's birthday from Chris Danzi. Although it, it is quick, but it's a do I remember this right? 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 Right, this right. I have a slightly fuzzy memory of a Manchester United season review and a scene in which Paul Parker enters the dressing room in a suit carrying his boot bag. He gives the camera a big smile and the narrator says, today is Paul Parker's birthday and he has been dropped. <laughs> Paul then leaves the dressing room through another door. I remember as a child feeling really sorry for him. Chris in Bristol, age 36 and a quarter. Oh, poor Paul Parker, not on your birthday. Poor Paul Parker. Um, shoot annual 1994 from Robert Tozer. So Robert Tozer um, has found a shoot annual from 1994 and it's got a page 
on nicknames called What's in a Name. It, it runs through some quite boring nicknames. Trigger, uh, Chris Cormier's called Lino, blah, 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 blah. Uh, however, I'm going to give you some of my favorite nicknames. Dennis Bailey from QPR. I don't know if you remember Dennis Bailey. No. Due to his religious interests, he was nicknamed Billy Graham. <laughs> Stuart McCall likes a lager. Nickname, Oliver Reed. <laughs> I mean, these, yeah, fruit <laughs> one, but yeah. <laughs> They're really fruit one. Tell me whether we can include this one. <laughs> Nickname. I mean, probably not. <laughs> no. We also, we, we beep that, beep, beep out the name and the nickname. Because you can eat also beep out. Oh. <laughs> different time. Wow, different times. Beep those ones out. <laughs> Anton Rogan of Celtic is called Al Japan because he gets hot and goes red easily. What? What? Yeah, hang on, what? Uh, Bobby Mims. Hang on, what? What, is that? what do you what, think what, that means? What's, what's Al Japan? Well, let's Google what Al Japan is. How are you spelling that? It's an ointment. Do you remember Bobby Mims? Yeah. Yeah. Nicknamed Joe Mangle. <laughs> Why? Because he looks like Joe Mangle from Neighbours. Tony Coton. Do you remember Tony Coton? Cool. Yes. Nickname, Colonel Mustard. Reason, he once wore a bright yellow jacket. <laughs> <laughs> that I'm on board with. I, I like it when someone does one thing once, like yeah. completely innocuous, and then it's stuck forever. It's like, I don't know whether you had this. It's like when you first start dating someone, you might mention like a celebrity in passing that you find attractive for the rest of your time with that person every time you see that person they'll go oh there's, there's your wife there's your wife yeah Mario, oh yeah, wife. yeah totally yeah totally. Co- coronation street's tina o'brien yeah to this day <laughs> i wish i'd ever remarked on her beauty <laughs> um that's uh who did you did so, so does sophie have an issue with tina o'brien that's just whenever she comes up whenever tina o'brien comes up how often does tina o'brien come no, up not very often so probably once every couple of years. Okay. We all remember Paul Stewart's very boring skipper anecdote from Premier Passions. Yep. So Elliot Carr Barnsley would like to submit an anecdote by Ryan Giggs from 2018 as a pundit. So this is Ryan Giggs as a pundit. Is this the most boring anecdote ever told by a footballer? Well, we didn't get off to a great start, if I'm honest. <laughs> My first training session um, with Carlos... He's organising something in, in training and he turns to me and says, Giggs, I want you to do this. And there's a little giggle around, you know, when all the teammates have a little laugh at, don't call him Gig, you know, it's yeah. either Ryan or Giggsy. So when you hear the giggle, it just gets you back up a little yeah. bit. I said, listen, mate, it's Giggsy or Ryan. So we didn't get off to a great start, but fantastic coach. And like you say, the first time, he's very... I think that's a panic though. I think he realised. I think he's realises it's a terrible story halfway through. <laughs> Do you? Yeah. I think he, he's just looking. But like I say, great coach. Like he's looking for a way out of that. This is another one from Elliot Carr Barnsley. Who, uh, listening back to Striker episode two, I was minded of my mid nineties summer spent at Aylesbury United, Aylesbury United's famous Buckingham Road, attending football week. It's one of those things we learn skills and tactics. But uh, there was one foreign player on the course. His name escapes me, so let's call him Chummy. He was 12 years old, Spanish, with a great love of the Premier League and the current superstars of Manchester United. Although technically excellent, Chummy was most happy when throwing himself around in goal. 
uh, calling out uh, the name of his favourite netminder when he made the save. Young Chummy, in a Mediterranean accent, would shout whenever he was making a save, Gary Walsh! (laughs) (laughs) Why he loved Gary Walsh was never explained. (laughs) But it was the most unusual level of love I've ever seen for a reserve goalkeeper. I, I... Hadn't thought about Gary Walsh in so long. Weird what do you What do you reckon's happened there? I don't. I mean, I'm presuming he's just a formative age, has seen either a game or a clip or, you know, collected stickers. Like It's, it's so sort of fickle, the thing that will make yeah. you like, love it. I mean, imagine if we were in Scandinavia playing, you know, headers and volleys, and one of us was pretending to be Nicholas Alexanderson. They'd be like, what? Like, what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but... Reserve goalkeepers, do send us in anyone that's a, the goalkeeper that's had the longest Premier League career without playing. Well, I, I, I thought about this the other day. There was a guy called uh, Ian Foyer, F E U E R, who played. He was West Ham sub goalkeeper for for a long time, for like, in the mid nineties, for like three years. Never played a game, and I looked him up. I looked up his stats in his whole career, which stretched like twenty two years. He only played two hundred nine games, and he had he had games, he had yeah. probably like. 14 clubs that's mad isn't it yeah and and of that 209 games 83 of them came in a three-year spell at Luton wow wow. so the bottom it must be so (laughs) nerve-wracking when you play (laughs) no but you can carve out a career doing nothing you must just be a great guy (laughs) no just great to have around Do, do you want another strange hill yes please when I was around seven years old, 1996, I was just starting to get into football. I received a birthday present from a family friend. With my mum alongside me, I excitedly unwrapped the strangely shaped gift before screaming, oh, wow, chin guards. <laughs> just Distracted by the conversation, my mum failed to realise that me excitedly exclaiming chin guards was not a pronunciation error. The penny dropped when I began placing one of the chin guards on my chin. (laughs) (laughs) Asking which way round it was supposed to go on my face. I'd never seen my mates playing football with guards on their chin in kickabouts. Therefore assumed it was something that only adults and professionals used to prevent injury when the ball struck them at pace on their chin. (laughs) (laughs) I presume the second chin guard must have been a spare. Keep up the good work, Gary in Glasgow. Now... I'd like to draw a line under long throws. This is from Neil Fletcher. I can't believe we didn't know this. To set the scene, my team, Notts County, a year earlier, had been beaten in the Anglo-Italian Cup final by a Brescia team that included Georgie Hadji. Notts had made the final again. I wasn't allowed to go this time as my mum had organised my brother's birthday party on the same day at the local leisure centre. I was 12 and two-thirds for the record. Notts, managed by Howard Kendall, assisted by Russell Slade and Steve Nicholl, came up against Askerley, who included Oliver Bierhoff. Few happened things happened during this game, including Steve Cherry, uh, who Kendall had told was no longer leader, being recalled to the team, only to be replaced mid-match by Paul Rees to share the experience. However, the biggest incident involved the opening goal. I'd like you to press play on the video I've sent you on your WhatsApps, please. What's happened there? It's a long throw. 
gone straight into the six-yard box and almost straight in. Who got the final so, touch? So that was officially recorded as Tony Agana goal. But as you can see, he doesn't touch the ball. Wow! As he as he's celebrating, he's got a, like a coy smile, like looking at his teammates. So the opening goal was in fact scored by Andy Legg. No, no, it looks like it touches the defender. Yeah, I mean, doesn't touch anyone. Going for now. It. Oh, uh, I don't I know. Would weird, the a keeper weird gets the there. touch. I think the keeper might get a touch. Well, there we go. Did Andy Legg score a goal in the Anglo-Italian Cup final from a throw-in? Actually, uh, having watched it again, I think it goes straight in. I'm going to say it goes straight in, but we'll put it on our Instagram for uh, for your viewing pleasure. Hold on, I've just watched it again. I think there's the sound of a helicopter above. <laughs> <laughs> right. For the end of the episode, we'll bring back the old favourite quiz, starting 11. I thought I would... Uh, set the match today and Michael and Chris will compete to play the exit music okay which will surely be Grange Hill but not if I win not if you win in honour of our Oldham lineups uh, I would like to go Manchester United versus Oldham from the 1990 FA Cup semi-final don't know if you remember this three all possibly the greatest day in the history of Oldham yeah, man, you went on to win the the cup against Crystal Palace in the final. Okay, Chris, start us off. Mark Hughes. Correct. Brian Robson. Correct. Um, Paul Ince. Correct. Brian McClare. Incorrect. Oh. How many lives do you get? Oh, I think we normally get two. Did he not eat? Ca- two. He came on, he, surely. He didn't come on. No, he didn't. Oh, oh, wait. He played. Oh, <laughs> oh, that was the opposite of that Euro 96 thing. Choco McClare oh. was, a, oh. was a star. Do you know what? He's been listed as a midfielder. Uh, Gary Pallister. Correct. Oh. Sticking to the Manchester yeah, United I, I know. We're quite... just completely ignoring Oldham. I've got one Oldham I might drop in, but I'm not even confident about it. Oh, Steve Bruce? Correct. Um, so we've had Pallister, Robson, Ince, Hughes, McClare, Bruce. Uh, Paul Parker? I'm not confident on that, actually. You're right to be not confident. Oh. That is incorrect. Oh... Well, if it wasn't Paul Parker, then it must have been Lee Martin. It was Lee Martin. Chris, you're on your last life. Are you going to dare to do Oldham? Shall, shall I? Maybe. Uh... I, I think you'll be right. Looking at this Oldham team, it's got most of the players I've heard of that played for Oldham in it. Ian Marshall. Correct. Wow. Oh, wow. That's, that's, that's my trump card. Uh, I... I think it would have been Jim Layton in goal for United. Correct. Shouldn't Michael have to name an Oldham player? <laughs> it feels it feels gentlemanly. Okay. Next time no. I will. If, yeah, you're, okay. if you're still in the game, oh, Chris, no pressure. Yeah. 1990, Man United. Uh, Bruce, who would, uh, who's your right back? I would say that is probably a player I've never heard of in my life. A um, couple of midfielders left. A couple of midfielders. Is Giggs getting a game then? 
and everyone but Ian Marshall for Oldham. <laughs> is Giggs sharp? Is sharp knocking about then? I'm going to go with Lee Sharp. That is incorrect, Chris. Oh, Giggs? Okay. Michael. No, Giggs is incorrect. Michael, any Oldhams? Uh, I was going to say L. Barrett. Correct. Yes. Any others? Uh, any other guesses on the Man U's? Or? Uh, Can, Man United, um, I think Mike Phelan would have Mike been Phelan, in the midfield. Mike Phelan is correct. And then possibly Neil Webb, but I'm not... I correct as well. And the okay. fullback was Colin Gibson. Oh, wow. Got that. And to complete the Oldham lineup, along with Ian Marshall, in goal, John Hallworth, no. Andy Barlow, Earl Barrett, Andy Holden, and Dennis Irwin. Oh, oh wow. Nick Henry, Rick Holden, Mike Milligan, Neil Redfern. Yes, I would have got that. Ian Marshall and Andy Ritchie won't have been quite gettable. I was hoping someone was going to get Dennis Irwin for the wrong reasons. <laughs> I was tempted. Um, well, you win, Michael. What do you want to play us out with? In uh, honour of Manchester United, I'm going to pick Come On You Reds. Lovely. Chris, anything left to say? Series 8 kicks into gear next week. We'll be back on Friday for Patreon listeners and we'll be back on Monday for everyone else. See you then. Until then, Robbie Slater, see you later. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. When I went on my last holiday to Cape Town, it was amazing. My friends were there, the weather was phenomenal, and most importantly, the food was fantastic. But one thing I struggled with was finding the right places to stay. You know, all I want is a great bed, a fantastic shower, and breakfast that doesn't end at 8 a.m. I'm on holiday, I'm still sleeping. I also like ease, and the Hotels.com app easily helps me to find a perfect hotel for every trip. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly getaway or a relaxing spa weekend, on the Hotels.com app, you can compare up to five hotels side-by-side. Now, why would you want to do that? So you can see prices, amenities, and star ratings. And best of all, you don't have to switch back and forth between options. See? Ease. So, start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app today.